Welcome to Season 1 of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian Anderson, and I'm on a mission to understand the tactics and the truths that men use to overcome their darkest days. Just like your physical body, your mental strength needs to be trained and developed. Everyday men fight battles against personal tragedies, mental illness, addiction, suicide, injustices, and other seemingly insurmountable obstacles. By sharing the power in these stories, I believe they will fortify our minds and encourage the bond of brotherhood. Whether you're listening for yourself or in an effort to help another, men capable of winning in mental combat are needed. So let's get to work. Welcome to another episode of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian. First, before we get started, wanted to thank all you that have been listening. We passed a thousand all-time downloads last week, which is a fun little win to celebrate. So thank you for that. Thank you for amplifying these voices, sharing them out so that these stories can benefit others. Next, if you know me, you know that I love a good graph and data. So One of the pieces that I was looking at in our podcast analytics, it looks like over half of you are all listening on Apple Podcasts, which is super awesome because guess what? On Apple Podcasts, you can review the podcast, which honestly would be super helpful. Um, The goal of this podcast is to cast the net wider and get these stories to as many people that can benefit from them as possible. So... That's where I need your help. By leaving a review, by giving that star rating, you're effectively telling Apple Podcasts that there's value to be found here and others can find value too. So if you have a moment, go give a review to the Unsung Battles podcast. I'm going to try to start reviving these mental health training topics and linking them to each of the episodes. And for this episode, one of the things that Brandon talks about that was a big help for him and kind of started him on his path was becoming aware, is what he calls it. And he did so by journaling about the experiences that he was having, um, which helped him to start to break those down, understand them, and get in the middle so that he could change them. So my challenge to you this week is to either journal, reflect, heck, you can even do like a vlog on your phone. You can record yourself and just think through and talk through one of your experiences that you've had, like a strong emotional experience and try and separate yourself from it or not separate yourself from it more. Try to understand it. Where did those emotions come from? You know, what brought them about? How did you act on them? Should you have acted that way on them? Because at the end of the day, there's a big difference between us and our emotions, right? Like their emotions aren't in themselves bad, which is what you'll hear Brandon talk about. However, what we do with those, the actions that we take, that's where it starts to become, you know, you can start to classify that as good or bad, or I should, or I shouldn't, or whatever it may be. So that's the goal this week. An update on the Forge Project, which is coming up June 30th to July 2nd. That will be held near Park City, Utah. We are about halfway full, but still looking for a couple of other men to join in and participate in this pilot program. 
Um, you'll be coming out with a group of guys. We're going to go through some, some physical challenges, some team building exercises. Uh, and I'm not talking about a trust fall. Please, it will not be that dumb. I promise. But if that's something that you're interested in, there's a link in the show notes that will allow you to sign up for more information. It's not a commitment to the forge. It's just a form that lets me know that you're interested and you'd like more information. So I'll schedule a time to talk and run you through the details there. So, all right, this is the Unsung Battles podcast and we're going to start our episode now. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for giving me some of your time and coming on to, to share your story with us. It's, it's great to have you, man. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you bet. Uh, excited to learn more. Um, what would you like people to know about yourself? Yeah, man. So h- how do you uh, address stress? That's kind of been one of my my questions I've pondered on, one of the questions I've sought to come to understand. And how to manage stress has been one of the the most challenging things for me on my journey. How that became relevant was... I was interviewing for medical school, and the very first question I got was, if you were a high school principal, how would you address mental health for your students? And that at that time, like the direction and trajectory I was on in my life was very much a path of, you know, I was pre-med, I, I was going to do everything I needed to live my passion, live my dream of becoming a doctor. Um, but Little did I know I had a lot of unresolved baggage and stress and trauma that was present that I was not aware of. And that started a journey for since 2019. It's been four years where I've, you know, made that my priority to learn about myself and to learn to address stress without sacrificing, you know, the, the need to also provide for yourself as well as to you know, try to give back and, and make an impact on the community. That's that's a little bit about me to get started. You bring up this idea of um, unresolved stress or trauma that, that may be kind of lying in wait. How did you recognize that that was something that you, you had uh, needing to be resolved or were, were there signs or did you always kind of know or what was that experience like? Yeah, so I... I was accidentally ran over by my by my father when I was four years old, and that, in a lot of ways, shaped the way that I view the world as well as the way that I viewed myself, honestly. And I had had struggles of just like questioning why why am I alive? Why wasn't I just why wasn't my life just taken when I was accidentally ran over? And so I shaped the way I formed and shaped and developed was part of me was you know bitter towards the world, bitter towards my family, just inside. I didn't know what it was. Like it was just, just beneath the surface. It wasn't obvious, but it just felt like I, I, I've always had this chip on my shoulder and, you know, there's genetic components, there's environmental components. So, you know, genes as in what, what genetics get passed on through our family, as well as the environment of what happens to us. And, I've gradually and eventually I've shaped my beliefs to recognize the importance of both of those in, in addressing them. It's really comes down to coming, coming to terms with what happens to us and, and, and not projecting blame 
to the world because of what happens to us. Um, that, that's at least for me personally, how I've been able to start addressing the stress and the trauma um, is to eliminate a blaming framework and instead ask myself, what in my power can I do to seek help, get the help I need and, and address and do the work I need to, to heal. You know, that kind of gives us a little bit of, of insight to, to your past. Where would you describe you're at right now? What's your current outlook on life? I, I carried what I would call, so th this, this goes right into the, the guts of the unsung battles. Um, it's the kind of the dark side of, of what it is I've been through has been a struggle with, with anger and what I've learned and what I've come full circle on to realize is that there are, there are two sides to anger that anger in of itself is not a bad anger, not a bad emotion. It should not be shamed. It should not be, um, told no, like anger is, is a legitimate emotion that we should be allowed to feel. And it's, it's what, how we respond to, to that emotion is the choice that we have. We can respond in a way that is light and good, or we can respond in a way that is dark and bad. And throughout my life, I struggled with going to the dark side, which what I mean by that is in, in my childhood, I learned behaviors that were demonstrated as, you know, potentially not helpful learning coping mechanisms. I would yell to try to get what I want if I didn't feel understood, if I felt hurt then I would, you know, be somewhat aggressive in my tendencies to yell and to seek to get what, get what I want. And it never really resolved. And, and I never really in the long run got what I wanted. And it, which in the end really is just a good relationship with the people around me. And I, I wasn't getting that growing up. And it, it turned out, what I carried with me into my marriage, which I got married in 2017, um, the, the trauma and the baggage that I carried with me before my marriage became an identity and a part of my marriage. Um, because the who I was, the basis of who I was, was part of that, that stressed out Brandon, that hurting Brandon. Um, about two months before I met my, my, my wife, I experienced a pretty big loss in my life. I had a mentor who actually shared with me, like, Brandon, what do you want to do? You want to be, you want to make a difference for people. You'd make a great doctor. Lynn was his name. And talking with Lynn just kind of got my gears turning that, you know, I can do, I can do something good and, and, and worthy to, to help and give back because I really want to do that. Um, and I shadowed this doctor as a potential pre-med. And he says, Brandon, why don't we look up the records for your accident? And so for the very first time, I had never had any documentation or anything regarding my accident uh, up until then. And he showed it to me, it printed out four or five pages that shared all of the medical terminology of what had happened to me. And I was just like forming, I was visualizing and forming my dreams of you know, what it's like to be, what's, what it's going to be like as a doctor, that I need to learn this medical terminology. What does sutured mean? What does placed in a supine position? Um, his skull was depressed. 
And basically what happened was I had a skull fracture the size of a quarter and it was on, on the left side of my skull. And I had that my whole life, um, ever since I was four when, when the accident happened. But shadowing that doctor and getting that, those medical records, it just really started to sink into me that, you know, this is where I'm being drawn to, to, to go. And very early on, I immediately sign up for the pre-med prerequisites to, to go to medical school. And I'm taking, you know, introductory chemistry. I take medical terminology and I'm taking these, you know, classes that are putting me outside my comfort zone. Um, and a month and a half into that first semester, my mentor that, that Lynn had died of a heart attack. And so, you know, I, I was forming this dream to become a doctor and I just get nailed with this huge blow and I, I'm just kind of devastated, but I don't know what to do. I, I'm crying. I'm just, you know, to some extent, I, you know, I'm blaming, uh, I'm, I'm blaming God because I'm like, God, you were, you were taking me on this path and then you take away Lynn who, who helped get me on this path. What ended up happening was rather than go through a proper grieving process, like, for example, go out, fly out to Florida and see my mentor's death. I didn't instead, like, I, I didn't get to do that. Instead, I stayed, just hit it. I was just like, what is going on? What, why, why is this happening to me? I'm not in a place to say like, oh, I'm just going to drop everything and go. I just wasn't emotionally prepared for my mentor to die in the way that he did because he had plans to move out to Utah. So as a part of, you know, recognizing that that he was potentially going to play a, a, a larger part in my life going forward. And so I, I'm, I'm dealt with that grief back in 2016. Two months after my mentor's death, I end up meeting my sweetheart and start courting we date for a year we get married and the whole part of the going to medical school piece that pans out and as far as going through the motions of applying and then getting an interview and waiting for that process and i ended up not getting in but this whole time i'm carrying this grief of my mentor's death in a way that i have a chip on my shoulder that come hell or high water i'm going to get into medical school and so I was pitting myself against medical school um, admissions committees to, you know, everything I'm writing is, is strictly passionate. Like I'm just, I, I have a clouded essence of who I am because I haven't dealt with the grief. And so this, this was kind of the brand in from 2015 to 2019. Things changed for me significantly. Um, so the application cycle was 2018 to 2019. I graduated April 2019, and I didn't get into medical school. The 15 programs I applied to, they all rejected me. And I took the feedback from that first medical school interview question about mental health and being a high school principal. And I internalized that as my, what do I need to learn? What do I need to learn about mental health? And I took that question to heart and I went to work at the Utah State Hospital in Provo, which, which is a psychiatric facility where they, they have various 
wards with uh, various different, all sorts of different psychiatric disorders and people that are at their lowest lows in their lives, basically, is what it is. And I was placed in that facility. Meanwhile, in the background of of my there, there's the family history dynamic is I I had a grandfather who was admitted to the state hospital in the 1980s. So I go to a, a facility where I have a family history tie that for me was going to be, I'm going to either get closure or I'm going to learn more about my family by working here. And so there was twofold. There was, you know, improving myself as an applicant for medical school, as well as this piece of learning about myself, learning about mental health, management of stress as well. And kind of a side note um, with my grandpa, he had a lot of trauma. Um, his his uh, mother died when he was three or four. And then that kind of early childhood panned out, experience panned out to where my grandpa got into alcohol and had a substance abuse problems early in his teenage years. And then in adulthood, he carried that addiction with him. And eventually what landed him in the state hospital was, you know, a, a comorbid substance abuse and uh, bipolar dynamic. So the, the bipolar is in low lows and then you have high highs of mania. So I'm aware of this to an extent. As I'm working at the state hospital in 2019, I decide to, like, I, I was told I was going to work three shifts a week, so three eight-hour shifts a week, and they told me I, I had to take on at least one swing shift or one graveyard of those three that I was going to work. And I, I opted for the graveyard shift at on, on Wednesday evenings, so from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., I, I worked a graveyard shift starting in May 2019 and that whole summer I did that and what ended up happening was an unraveling occurred to where you know I wanted to learn about stress and mental health and things just got worse for me things just deteriorated and got to a a very deep and low place and to to the extent that I too uh, I experienced the onset for bipolar <laughs> so as ironic as this sounds um, I'm going to learn about my family history, and then I get I get whammy by my family history. My my genetic my my genes come alive, and I start experiencing a bout of of mania, which at the time I didn't know what it was. It took another nine months um, to then have an, a second manic episode. That with the help of clinical psychologists and meeting with psychiatrists, it was like, yeah, this is the direction things have headed for me. And I need to get um, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical intervention to, to help address what what's going on. Um, and so that's, that was kind of the period from 2019 going into 2020. By that point, I, I abandoned my dream to go to medical school. And it was like it's or it's just not the right thing right now for me it was like okay is this something i need to put off for 5 10 20 years i i became open to that just because i was i was hurting so bad and it was a blessing i didn't get into medical school 
because had I been in, you know, rigorous education in and then things unravel then would have been much worse. So I'm incredibly grateful that that dream didn't work out and I was I was mad. I, I had that dark side of of anger was coming out and I I wanted to wanted to seek healing. It was like Brandon, if you don't get healed, you like things are gonna get worse. Best decisions I made um, to to get help. And things have gradually gotten better. Things have gradually improved to the point where I have a full-time job and you know I eventually wanna have a side hustle that hopefully will, will to where I can provide for myself. So I don't know that that is that is the the last five years of Brandon. What brought that realization? Because I'm really interested in this idea of like the two sides of anger. When did that realization come, or what did that realization look like for you? Yeah, so I was it's like really hard for my wife. Like I I was having bouts of rage to the point where I did I didn't know I didn't have awareness of how to control it. Like I was just I was losing I was losing control literally. And it was like, I, I don't want to behave this way. And I know it's not, not good for you. It's not good for me. Like I'm not, it's not serving me whatsoever. And so in 2021, I started journaling, you know, this anger of like when it's appearing and when it escalates and being like, when I flip the lid and I just lose it all. So I just started journaling when that happened every time. And I, it was like, at first it was towards medical school. Like it would just happen towards medical school. And then when I let go of medical school, it started happening towards my wife. And, and that's, that was really devastating and really sad and, and, and really unfortunate. And all I could really do was document it at first. And what truly shifted things for me to help me understand the light side and dark side to anger was being introduced to what's called attachment theory. Um, attachment theory is this this idea that that we um, the way that we form our relationship with our caregivers influences in a large part the way we form and keep relationships later on in life. And so, you know, we learn our behaviors from our caregivers. We learn, you know, how to survive in society. How to we get a lot of advice from from our our caregivers and not to say that you know all of these things I struggled with that you know I, I learned it from my family so I, therefore I can blame them um, I'm not saying that at all um, I what what I am saying is sometimes behaviors we observe we learn them and for me yelling was kind of regular in my in my family growing up and as well <laughs> not to blame what happened to me either you know, traumatic brain injury is notorious for anger management struggles. So uh, if, if anyone has had trauma to their head, then it can make it really challenging to regulate anger. And I, so I studied neuroscience in, in school. And what, what that really did for me being pre-med was, you know, approaching things in a scientific way of experimentation and and, and trying to understand things from a from a, a logical standpoint and just testing, test, test, test. 
And when I came across attachment theory, it's really made a lot of sense to then recognize, okay, if I learned some of these behaviors in my childhood and then I bring them into my close relationship, my relationship with my spouse, then, then that's going to create this, what's called this enmeshment. And enmeshment and entanglement are, are ideas that we're kind of stuck in a tug of war. Like we, we don't have clear, distinct boundaries in our relationships and what's okay and what's not okay is not very clear. Um, like one thing's to yell to be like, yeah, go, go. But to have any sentiment that perhaps threatening, like there's a threat or for example, like I was threatened to be taken to anger management as a child. It was like, do we need to take you to anger management? That was the tone that I received as a child. And I internalized that as, oh, anger's bad. Ang anger anger means, means it's a shameful thing. That, that's how I internalized it. I didn't know that that's what I did. But experiencing that in my childhood um, really shaped how I, I, was, I wasn't understanding what anger is. And this, this idea of enmeshment and entanglement is that like, you're stuck within your relationship with your, your parents, per se. And how do you unmesh? That, that is the question that you know, I took to heart was, okay, I get that I'm enmeshed, but what do I need to do to unmesh? And what, what helped me to unmesh was creating social boundaries of, of what's okay and what's not okay. I'll, I'll go into a little bit details about my my childhood with my accident. Given that my dad, he accidentally ran me over, understandably, that was really hard on him as a as a as a father to to experience, you know, the accident of running over your child. Like no no father in their right mind would be okay with that or just say whatever, get over it. No. There, for years, my dad struggled with God to say, like, why, why didn't you prompt me to look behind? You know, I sort of think about it as uh, one time I heard he wanted my hair done a certain way to hide my scar. And so there's this idea of, of you know, hiding the accident and not talking about it and really what's has helped me to heal is actually to talk about it, to talk about the hurt that it was and find common ground to where I can have good relationship with my parents without escalating to not escalate to yelling and to combative and the more that I've worked on myself and I've done um, I, I've realized that I started setting boundaries so is the idea that you in an effort to demesh or unmesh uh, from that kind of attachment is you're setting and almost having the conversation prior to the events where it would turn to anger kind of almost getting ahead of it and that's what setting those boundaries is done is hey this is kind of the the limit this is what the decision is that way you're almost removing that um, potential for it to escalate is that kind of Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's really hard because we have triggers and sometimes we're not aware of what our triggers are. And so 
we we have to be very self-aware in in uncovering what our triggers are and once you find a trigger and you're like oh that's a trigger for me rather than saying like you 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 stop doing that because you're triggering me no no we need to we need to backtrack we need to reflect journal and say like hey this is what's triggering me and then you formulate a game plan like you're saying you formulate the game plan to set a boundary in a way that is respectful in a way that is motivating and, and inspiring to the other person in a way that you let them know that you understand that they care about you because they're they're usually coming from a place that they're that they that they care but it's not serving your best interest or your needs because it could be stomping on your territory as in my example it starts to make a lot of sense in that you are you're proactively having conversations and communicating prior to uh, the event of things escalating to the point where it's kind of beyond control at that point, right? And so, and it sounds like from what I'm understanding about your experience as well, what started you down that path and what opened you up to that, um, the scientific approach that you've taken is first journaling and self-reflection. And that's kind of what initiated the path for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I have these symptoms that in my mind, they precede mania, they precede bipolar itself. I've had these symptoms of just tension, just tension, not calm. So there's no peace. I'm uh, rapid heart rate, high blood pressure. Like I just have felt it in my body. In 2019, it was horrible. Like it was just before before the bipolar mania was happening, like I was having the stress and tension. And you know, part of the my philosophy is, you know, if you have um, a problem, there's there's usually a preceding, there's something that precedes it. There, there's something that you got to address it. And beyond what any medication has done for me, understanding attachment theory and applying the principles of improving my relationships, that has done more for me than any medication. And I'm I'm still taking medications. Um, I'm a I'm a proponent that we should take medications, you know, to prevent future episodes, to prevent, you know, anything from from getting out of hand. But I am a huge proponent that we should safeguard our closest relationships and prioritize having healthy relationships because that is the light side of anger. The light side of anger is being motivated and inspired to make change being motivated and inspired to um, set good boundaries, to communicate respectfully. That's the essence and core of the light side of anger. And, and the dark side of anger is the opposite. The, the, the adversary, um, however you wanna look at it, puts stumbling blocks in our way to get us to escalate, to get us to yell, to get us to be aggressive in nature and aggressive in a way that doesn't serve us. Good aggression could be, you know, I'm going to go get her. I'm going to go get it. Go, I'm going to go for it. That that can be aggress aggression in a light sense, but the the dark sense of aggression is not good. It's sabotaging of our relationship. Those are the behavioral ones for the dark side of anger. There are internal, um, beneath the surface, that if we are not aware of them, then they are going to stumble stumble 
us in our way. And the three, the three that I identified characteristics are cynicism, negativity, and contempt. Those are the, that's the core problem of the dark side of anger. When we have any sense of, so our outlook on life, if we have a cynical outlook, we, we don't look forward to the future. We don't, we don't like a certain person. We, we have an out, we have a poor outlook on our relationship with someone. We, we have negativity. We harbor negativity and contempt. Contempt is a, a deep hatred. And the only way to get off that program is to become aware. Man, it's so hard to become aware, like, and how to teach people to be aware. That's one of the things that fascinates me. And I love having conversations with individuals like you is, is trying to understand, like, what is that point? What woke you up? What made you self-aware? Like, what started that transition? Because it's such a powerful thing. Uh, but it's not something you can just, you, you can't do it for somebody else, right? Like you have to want that. You have to seek that. It's such a powerful thing and such a needed thing. And so I'm always fascinated in trying to understand what, what was the catalyst that created that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up thinking I'm a compassionate person. I want to help people. I'm going to help people. I went down that path of, I want to help people. And I'm like, I'm pursuing helping people. I stumbled on my path because I had not helped myself first. So the, the solution, the formula is first help yourself. Then you can help family unit from there, yourself and the culture that you create within yourself. We all create a culture that we carry with us. We need to create a culture of healing within ourselves if we want to heal. And people are addicted to negativity. People are addicted to blaming other people because it, it takes responsibility off of themselves. And they can say, my problems are because of someone else. And people are addicted on that program. The, the only way to come off is to recognize the stumbling blocks. Brene Brown, she's a fantastic author. She talks about shame and ju judgment, how those are roadblocks and that you don't need to pursue happiness. More often than not, we need to remove negativity. We need to remove the roadblocks that are keeping us from peace. Heal yourself, then create a culture of yourself that is in of itself healed, conducive for healing that, you know, negativity isn't, and cynicism, contempt of anger, the dark side of anger. Make sure you root the dark side of anger out of your life and replace it with the, the light side of anger. And then from there, you can, you can help your family heal. I wanted to heal, do the healing, the work for my family originally, and that led to my undoing. And I had to anchor back into the self-aware and self-healing. I had to let go. I had to let go of what other people were um, doing. Regardless, I had to be like, I have to do me. I have to heal me before I can help others heal them, heal themselves. Well, and I and I think that <clears throat> that idea of going about trying to fix the other person usually comes from that place of cynicism, negativity, and content or contempt, um, because you're looking at that other individual as the problem. And the problem's always external. And that's why it backfires. Yep. And that's why it backfires. Well, and I think one thing too that came to mind, especially with with men, like I don't I think the conversation about about facing, releasing, um, 
like going through that self-awareness process about your own anger often gets pushed to the side or that's something like that's, you know, the, the reaction of anger always gets kind of bottled up and pushed down because as a society, that's not acceptable, right? To react that way and to, to feel that kind of dark side of anger that you're talking about. But all too often, I don't think we have the conversation or get people the resources so that they can have that conversation within themselves of facing and understanding why that anger is there rather than just it's so-and-so's fault. You know, this person is, a, you know, causing me all this trouble. Um, what do you, what's your message to, or what do you recommend to the individual who's listening to this and knows like within themselves, they're feeling and facing that anger inside um, and, and doesn't feel like they're ready to let it go or doesn't know how maybe is better, probably a better way to ask it. I'd say know that anger, anger in of itself is not bad. Anger is an emotion and our, it's, it's hard because getting into a little bit of neuroscience, our limbic system is our emotion center. We have two of them on our left and right side. And our amygdala is one of the receptive and interpreters that says, oh, this is to be feared. Oh, this is to be mad. This is, this is to experience this emotion. And then we run on, our limbic system becomes activated. And there's a, there's a highway between our limbic system and the prefrontal cortex, which is where we think where we have logic. And when our limbic system activates, our thinking brain gets deactivated. And it's a powerful, um, it's related as in, it's a six lane highway telling the thinking brain to turn off when the thinking brain only has a one lane highway to tell the limbic system to turn off. I think that brings up a very good point. Like the time to face anger is never in the moment, I'm, is what I'm hearing, because it's, uh, it's too far gone. Like, trying to rein that in doesn't sound doable. I mean, by the way you're describing um, how the brain interacts with those different emotions. Yeah. So I guess if you're in anger, recognize this is a temporary state that I do not need to act on this anger. Perhaps the best way to respond is to get a breather. The best way to respond is to step away and to not um, get involved with the individual that may have contributed to triggering your emotional response of anger and and give yourself that time and give yourself grace give yourself forgiveness say i'm not a bad person because i i'm experiencing this anger um, because that's what i was doing when i had the anger was getting frustrated with myself and blaming myself and my 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 marriage ended um, in part because I didn't know how to get control of my anger and my spouse was afraid of a, of coming, turning towards me and turning away. Going through the experience of having a marriage end and as well as also having this, this trial with anger, was the, was it difficult to not fall into the anger side of things as a result of the marriage or was that motivating to to continue the fight like what was your experience coming away from that because that's a that's a difficult thing to go through yeah um one of the one of the behaviors that 
that my my spouse had was she was afraid like understandably so like mania is is not a an easy thing to address usually people who have either been through it themselves or have the deep you know experience addressing it will know how to do it so give grace to my spouse she was not a trained mental health professional to help me through you know my dark side and mania and depression she and and so as a result of that she was very afraid of me and um understandably so when things unravel you have a choice to let them keep unraveling and get worse and i eventually found my way to attachment theory <laughs> uh to heal myself and heal my relationships um and my relationship with my spouse is a lot better um, because of it, because I have an explanation. I, I have an explanation as to why I had, you know, a chip on my shoulder of contempt, cynicism, negativity that I carried with me. And I can confidently communicate to her that, you know, this, this was something that predated our marriage. Like it, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with you. And this, this played into my onset for bipolar significantly because you know I was not at peace fundamentally from my childhood. And you know, things shit hits the fan. And it's it's so hard. But you know, what I want the message I want others to hear is that you can make it through it and you can make it through it without turning to substances you can make it through it without turning to um sabotaging your relationships and it's you're not going to be perfect through it i was i sure wasn't perfect but i gradually and eventually made it through it in a way that brought me peace and restored the the lack of peace that i so yearned for the to to regain peace and whatever it is you want and you know is right, focus on that like a laser beam and you'll figure out a way to get there. Visualize it, whatever you have to do, as, as devastating or as, as confusing as this world can be and as confusing as our, our programs that we've been given from childhood can, can be, we need to develop a personal philosophy to get through life because everyone's life is different. And as soon as we pursue the path of of, of the right and truth for ourselves will be shown the way. Like, I, I promise, like that's, that is a promise. And that is, that is the tool that I've used to get me through this. I love that, man. Now it sounds like these, these tools have, have really helped you make some, some different adjustments and changes to the hand that you were dealt. And I think that's, what's so hard, right. Is, is a lot of this stuff is, is not stuff we can control. We kind of, your experience getting run over, your experience with having bipolar, like those aren't things that we choose, um, but yet it still kind of falls to us to to make the decisions on how to respond to them. I mean, I think that's very incredible about your story is that, you're, that you've found that path of self-awareness and then it sounds like knowledge and learning around what you're going through. And that explanation has also done done wonders to kind of put structure and set a path out of the situation from what i can speak to um during my separation with my wife 
I started formulating a personal mission statement. And in it, I more or less did exactly what we're kind of talking about, which is um, crafting, you know, a, a way of living, a way of, you know, idealism of what I, it is I want out of my life. And as I did that, I, it was not a one draft thing. No, I, I'm talking like I had hundreds of drafts to where I started to come across, come across affirmations that stuck. Like there's these are affirmations are not going away. They're going nowhere. And they are transformative and they are going to um, be there as an anchor for the rest of my life. Like I got to that point. And the first draft was 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 nowhere close. But I repeated it over and over again until it stuck. And eventually the definitions and the, the perceptions of what I believe certain concepts were, they started to become one with me in a sense. How, how I would describe my journey um, is very much a theme of healing. You know, we've talked about quite a few different things. Is there anything that's come to mind or that I haven't asked about that you feel like would be something you still want to talk about or, or go over or bring up? I think life can, life is just hard. Like, man, it's, it's, it's not easy. And I don't think it's ever going to get easy. Um, I, I really truly believe like we, we got to treat life like we're in a winter. And if we're not in a winter, we got to treat like we're preparing for a winter. It's obvious and apparent that things are going to change rapidly and really the the only way to survive going into the future is to put in that preparation. I don't know what I would do if I didn't come across stoicism as a philosophy. I, I've I've encountered a lot of personal development and inspirational people and and every single one of them they pull from stoicism as a philosophy to do hard things when it feels impossible. To me, that's the core of stoicism is doing hard, challenging things and making making the most of it. And I want to recognize that it's okay to have emotions. Yeah. Emotions are do not make us bad people whatsoever. Like they are just part of our experience and they are an information for us to take in and to give us an opportunity to how to how we choose to respond. Trial and error, trial and error. It's a constant process. And that's what I love about this podcast, man, is is everybody's a little different, right? It may not be an exact fit, but portions of your story are going to land with people out there that that are needing to hear it. And, and that's what I hope people take away is like, even if this doesn't fit for you, it's still something worth trying or considering or I don't know. I, I just, there's so many approaches and resources and what works for one may not work for others, but there are going to be commonalities. I think you've shared a lot of specific tactics and truths that, that may apply to some people and, and hopefully help them through their dark times. Random, really appreciate the time. It's been insightful, not just in general, but for me personally, and um, excited to apply some of the things that I've learned today as well. Awesome. Thanks again so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brandon. He did include a link to his LinkedIn account that is included in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to him, connect with him, follow him. 
and just a reminder to subscribe and follow so that you can be up to date and notified when we release new episodes, which is typically every Tuesday. Um, we've been going strong the last four weeks, and we're going to keep going strong as long as we can. Don't forget to review or rate the podcast. Let's help grow this thing, get these voices amplified even further, and we'll talk to you next time. Or, well, I, we won't talk, but I'll talk. Uh, the guest will talk. We'll go with that. Come tune in and listen to the next guest talk on our next podcast episode. I'm getting off before I tongue twist anything else. Thanks for listening in and we'll catch you on the next one.